were baptized, the priest dunked you with water, said a few prayers, but then he did something very important. And it's the part of the baptism ceremony which most people don't pay much attention to. The priest anointed you with the oil of chrism and he anointed you as priest, prophet and king. Now this symbolism is so powerful. In the Old Testament, whenever a prophet was anointed, it was with oil. Whenever a king was anointed, it was with oil. You know, there's a very dramatic moment in the Old Testament where the prophet Elisha is sent to anoint Jehu as king. Jehu was one of the captains of the army. And the Lord spoke to Elisha and said, I want you to go and anoint him with oil, that he would now be the new king of Israel. So Elisha sends one of his disciples who calls this man out of the room and says, I need to speak to you. And as he comes into the next room, he pulls out this big flask of oil, cracks it open above his head and just pours out oil over him and says, the Lord is anointing you as king. Yeah, oil was always such a powerful image of this outpouring anointing of the Holy Spirit. And so, as I say, in the baptism ceremony, this is such a powerful moment, which sadly gets overlooked. You know, we, we always think of baptism as being about the forgiveness of sins. And we forget that it's also about an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, an anointing with mission. You were anointed as priest, prophet and king. And so this is the church saying, if you desire to be a disciple, this is what a disciple looks like. You will be a priest as Christ is a priest. You will be a prophet as Christ is a prophet. And you will lead as a king in the way that Jesus led as a king. So this is where your discipleship begins. To learn what your character as a Christian, your, your baptismal inheritance has been, this is where we've got to start. We need to begin with this idea of being anointed as a priest. In the first letter of Peter, chapter 2, Peter says that God has built you as living stones in his temple, that you would be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And he then goes on again a few lines later where he says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, in order that you may proclaim the mighty acts of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We need to begin with this very simple question of how many priests are there in the world? Depends on what you mean by priest. If we're talking ministerial priests, the men who stand at the front of the church every Sunday, there's about 410,000 of them, which is really not that many when you consider how many Catholics there are. But if you try and think, well, how many priests really are there? You'd also have to say there's just one, that Jesus is the priest. He is the only priest, the only mediator between God and humanity. And so all those ministerial priests, they simply just have a share in the priesthood of Christ. And this is where we end up with probably the third answer to the question. How many priests are there? There's probably about two billion priests in the world. Every person who has been baptized is a member of the royal priesthood. 
Every person who's been baptised has a share in the priesthood of Christ. Every person shares in this in a different way. You know, if we, to try and get into all the theology, we would say that a bishop has the fullest share of the priesthood of Christ because they are able to do all the sacraments. Your average priest in a parish has a bit less of a share of the priesthood and they can only do certain things if the, if the bishop delegates that authority to them. But every baptised person has a share in the priesthood of Christ. Maybe not to be able to minister sacramentally, but there are so many elements of this priesthood which are still so essential. And once again, maybe the reason the church is struggling is because most of the priests in the world are not doing their job. And maybe because we just haven't told them what their job is. Over the years, I've had so many Catholics ask me the question, why can only men be priests in the Catholic Church? And I've always tried to give the best theological arguments or explanation. But deep down, I, what I really want to say is, who told you that you're not a priest? You know, at what point did someone tell you that your priesthood of your baptism is not important? That's what we need to rediscover. You know, as I've mentioned before, we, we've come from this very clericalist view that only those who are ordained or those, those given authority by the church have the right to evangelize or speak in the name of Christ. But this, this has taken away the dignity of your baptism. And sometimes I think there's been a, a, a counter-reaction where, where people have believed that maybe if we talk about the, the priesthood of the laity, somehow we're going to feel that we don't need anyone to get ordained anymore. But once again, I think that is a simplification of the beauty of the theology. When I was training young men in the novitiate, which is where the, the title of this podcast comes from, these were young men who really wanted to become priests. And I was training them in their, their initial years of formation and discernment. And I would always talk to them about the difference between becoming a priest and being a priest. And every time I talked about this, they would always look at me as though they had no idea what I was talking about. Because in their heads, they were thinking that a priest was someone, you became a priest after the bishop laid hands on you. And then you wore the robes and you stood in front of the congregation and you were given authority to now minister to the people. But I was always trying to explain to them that that is only part of the equation. It's an essential part of what is necessary in the church. But there is an element of the priesthood that you can start living long before a bishop ordains you. And, and this is the the, the, the side of the priesthood which is natural to every baptized person, that you would be a priest, that you would be someone who offers sacrifice to God every day. And this is where St. Peter is talking in First Letter of Peter, chapter 2. You are a royal priesthood who offers spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Every day you are offering a sacrifice of worship. 
Every day you are offering penance, self-denial, intercession before God. The whole understanding of Christ's priesthood is that he is both priest and victim. The sacrifice he offers is not some poor animal, it's himself. And this is the message which bishops are always trying to say to seminarians, trying to say, if you really want to be a priest, you've got to learn how to be the victim. You need to recognize that the offering you give to God is your very life. It's the fact that you are going to be on your knees every day praying for your people. It's the fact that you are going to be fasting every week you know, offering up every possible sacrifice you can, you can think of because you are wanting to stand in that mediation role of Christ's priesthood. There is a beautiful line in Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 30, which in some sense is almost this prediction of the priesthood of Christ, where it says, I looked for someone among them who would build up the wall and stand before me in the gap on behalf of the land so that I would not have to destroy it. But I found no one. Now, this is using the imagery of the, the walls around Jerusalem, where when the walls were breached, someone had to stand in the gap to build it up, but also to defend the city. And no one was found willing to take that role. It's so often used as an image of intercession, but I think it's also this image of the priesthood of Christ. You know, the one who is the mediator between God and man, the one who stands in the gap, crying out for mercy on behalf of the world, interceding that the people would come to know the love of God. And this is where Christ calls us to share in his priesthood. You know, that we would be able to Share with him in that role of intercession, in that role of standing before the Father in constant, unending prayer. This is where I think there's a whole rediscovery that needs to happen. In terms of understanding our baptismal calling, there is nothing stopping you from being a priest right now. You know, when you look at how your day began, you know, the decisions you've made, even just the, the attitude that you've had as you've gone through the day, has it been about you, about how you become more happy, about how you become more comfortable, or has it been coming from this deep yearning that the whole world could know Christ? You know, that you find yourself before God saying, God, how can I do more? How can I, how can I join you in this prayer that the world might know you. That's the place where you start to be a priest. You know, when we start to offer up this sacrifice of worship, you know, that as we pray and as we just glorify God on behalf of the world, in a sense, trying to pray on behalf of those who cannot pray. If you've ever had an experience of praying the divine office, or the, you know, the morning prayer or evening prayer, praying through the Psalms, the way that the church understands that prayer is very much that it is, it is a priestly prayer. It's, it's a liturgical prayer. And in, in, the, in the instruction that describes this, 
it actually says that when we are praying these psalms, we are praying on behalf of those who cannot pray. So you might find yourself praying a psalm that's really happy. You don't feel happy. But you're praying on behalf of those who are. You might be praying a psalm which is really quite depressing, really crying out of the pain. And you might think, this is not resonating with me. This is not where I'm at in my personal prayer. The whole point is, it's a priestly prayer. You're praying on behalf of those who cannot pray. People around the world today who are crying out in pain and simply cannot turn to God. We pray for them. We pray on behalf of them. And, and ever since the Second Vatican Council, the church has encouraged every layperson to take up that prayer of the divine office. You see, this is the church saying, you're a priest. Pray like a priest. You know, don't be afraid to stand in the gap on behalf of the world that is crying and doesn't know how to pray. Even just to think in terms of your own family or your own marriage, where can you offer this sacrifice of prayer or this sacrifice of praise? You know, to, to realize that this is your ministry, to be standing in the gap on behalf of your children who are being attacked on all sides, physically or spiritually, you know, with all sorts of lies and false beliefs, who is going to stand in the gap on behalf of them? That's your priestly ministry. To see your life as being a daily sacrifice for the life of the world. It is a beautiful thing to throw your life away for the life of others. We see this in the priesthood of Christ as he goes to the cross. That we all live because... He gave his life up. In your baptism, you were anointed as a priest and Christ invited you to join him in that work, that you would be prepared to sacrifice for the sake of the world, to bring life to places where the world is dry and arid, that that river of life would flow through your heart and turn the Dead Sea into a place teeming with life.